Revelation chapter 17 is where we're going to head. Uh, We're going to wrap it up this morning. We made our way down through verse 12 last week. We're going to pick it up from verse 12 and we read through um, the rest of this chapter. And then we're going to go into uh, the new section. And uh, so if you're there with me, Revelation 17, verse 12, please say amen. Amen. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet. But they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the lamb and the lamb will overcome them for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Then he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are people's multitudes, nations and tongues. And then ten, uh, and, and the ten horns, excuse me, which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind, to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. And so, Lord, this morning, we thank you for allowing us to be here. Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to your truth, that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit, Lord God, that you would continue to create in us a sense of urgency, Lord, that we would know and understand the things which are coming upon this world, that we would be prepared as your ambassadors to represent you to uh, fulfill our ministry of reconciliation, to be able to give an answer to any who have a ho- uh, uh, asked the reason for the hope that lies within us as they see that we are filled with hope and not filled with, with despair, that we are, uh, Lord, biblically uh, looking towards the wonderful things that are to come, not being deceived by the things which are being told to us, Lord, that we are able to uh, encourage and bring hope and bring light into dark situations, Lord God, as your church. We love you and we thank you this morning. Amen. Amen. And so as we dive into this, this last section of chapter 17, um, it's, it's, it's really wonderful for us to be able to look at these things, even though we know biblically it seems that the church will not be here to experience these things. But it's very important that we understand the, the will and the plan of God. And even in those verses that we read, um, his plan is still being fulfilled during that time as God has an ultimate plan to reap a harvest from the earth and then to bring judgment to the earth. Um, and his mercy is even reaping harvest as that judgment is unfolding and then to take us into a new age, which is a age of uh, his kingdom actually being on the earth where everything will be subdued and there will be peace. And we in our resurrected form will be a part of his kingdom as the bride or then the wife of the Lord Jesus collectively, which is just a beautiful thing. And then eternity comes in. And so we know what's ahead for us. So many things to look forward to. Um, Paul said he was caught up into the third heaven. He heard things that were unlawful to repeat, not to mention what John is seeing. Um, it's beyond our understanding. It's beyond our comprehension. It's beyond our ability to, to begin to imagine how great it will be in, earth, in our human form in this fallen world. We don't have the capacity to begin to, to uh, even look forward to what God has. We don't even have that capacity. But something in us by his spirit has created this hope and longing for it. We even groan within ourselves as the earth 
this groaning, waiting for this time to come. It's beyond our imagination. Um, and, and, and so I can't wait. But as we look at this now, picking it up in verse 12, as we've been looking at this B system, notice the 10 horns, he says, which you saw are 10 kings who have received no kingdom as yet. And I'm going to get into the, the tense and how we interpretate this, uh, interpret this whole section we're in here. But as of John's day, these kings did not exist and had no kingdom, okay? Um, but they will receive, notice they, they receive authority, notice for one hour as kings with the beast, meaning that for a very short period of time, prophetically, very short period of time, literally part of the seven-year tribulation period, they then will receive uh, their kingship during that time. But as of yet, they have no kingship. So here's the thing. So we know that the final satanic government or satanic um, superpower upon the earth, it will be a global government. We know that. And that will have a 10 king, if you will, or 10 kingdom. It will be a 10 kingdom empire, or if you will, it will be divided into 10 regions of some sort upon the earth. Okay, and we know that that is what's coming. According to Daniel chapter 7, verse 24, Daniel says this. Daniel says the 10 horns are 10 kings who shall arise from this kingdom. This kingdom was the, 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 the final kingdom upon the earth in the last days. Daniel chapter 2 tells us that it's part of the ten toes of the image, which was at the bottom, which means at the, at the last time, which will be destroyed by Christ, okay, at his return. Okay, so, and another one, he says, will arise after them. So, in other words, this coming global, this coming global government will form into a 10-region government, and then from within, there will be one who will arise. He'll be different from the first ones, it says, and shall subdue three kings. And so what we know that's coming on the horizon is this final global government, which will be divided into 10 regions, and from that, this man of sin, this beast, this final world leader will arise from that. He will come on the scene and it will be difficult to know who he is at first. He's going to kind of be, and, and I like to use this example because it's perfect in my opinion, he'll be kind of a Jared Kushner kind of dude, okay? Um, and I say that, I'm not going to get into that right now. I do, anyway, let me stay focused. That's stuff I want to say, but, um, but he'll be a Jared Kushner kind of dude in the sense that he'll be maybe in the background at first, um, Yet he will actually be interacting with all of these kings of the earth. And then if you looked at how Jared Kushner has really behind the scenes brokered uh, on behalf of Donald Trump, the Abraham Accord meeting with Donald Trump and Benjamin Netanyahu and the leader of the United Arab Emirates and, uh, and Morocco and Sudan um, and I can't even think of all the other nations. There's, a, there's a, a small one I forget the name of. And the other nations that they're actually in talks with now, as many of them are joining this accord, uh, and I believe in fulfillment of Bible prophecy, he kind of works behind the scenes, but he's being held as this hero at the same time. In fact, they, I just heard that they honored him in Israel planting some olive trees. I was <laughs> on his behalf. Um, they love him. And so behind the scenes, this guy will operate as this global 
government is formed, and then all of a sudden he will rise to power and even overthrow three of those kings. This is what is on the horizon according to the scriptures both. And this is the thing. The Bible has given us the same story, Old Testament, then John is given it. In, in, he's actually there to see it in the New Testament, and the prophets agree. Okay, and we got to remember something about the Bible. The Bible is written by 40 different authors, uh, 66 books, 40 different authors, three different languages, three different continents, Jews and a few Gentiles, and over thousands of years, and yet it's seamless as though one author wrote it, which we know that one did. The Holy Spirit breathed upon men who then wrote. We know that, right? So the Bible is telling one cohesive story, and that is beautiful. And every time they try to deny its validity, they then have more archaeological evidence that comes to the scene that proves that the things that we read are exactly what they are in Scripture. And so this global government is coming. And this global government is going to be very interesting in how it comes to pass. Now, if you want to kind of know, you know, what is all of this going to look like as we're reading through Revelation, there is a little case study that you can read up on or you can investigate called China. Um, you can look at China and you can get a little glimpse of what this final government is going to look like because you know, a couple of things I've told you that um, give us a distinct way to determine these global governments, whether it was Egypt or Syria or Babylon or Persia or Greece uh, or Rome, they all did some similar things. They all, if you will, dominated people with total control and they persecuted the people of God. And right now in China, China has total dominance over their population. Their population exists, if you will, as slaves and the Christian church is persecuted. And how do I know this? Well, just this year, if you pay attention to the things that have happened in China, China has complete control over their population to the degree that they have complete surveillance over them and know what they're doing pretty much at all times. Their facial recognition technology is beyond anything that we had in previous years because the way it works now, even with the mask, the thing can recognize you. It doesn't, you don't even have to have an uncovered face and you can make certain changes and it still knows who you are. Technology has gotten really crazy. I mean, even with my little Apple devices, I'm uh, designing the little animated thing that's supposed to look like me and I'm moving my head and it's doing the same things. And I'm like, man, this is crazy. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's just like every little movement it can mimic. It mimic. And in China, the surveillance is everywhere to the point where they have new technology on their 5G system. I told you about this months ago, that when you walk into an establishment, it recognizes that you're there and can customize your experience while you're there, even in a retail store, okay? And so they've got all of these things to interact within their society. You have to use an app for many different things. And so they already have you kind of, if you will, uh, completely caught up in this system. They've also implemented, we talked about this months ago, what's called a social credit system. You know, we, we have a, a social, excuse me, social credit scoring system. Like we have a credit scoring system, which gives you a score based upon how you manage your debt. But there, a social credit system, which manages how you conduct your life in certain situations. 
and whether or not you are going along with the system. Because if you have issues with that system, they can deny your ability to do certain things. This is how strict they're becoming. And it's very interesting. And so if you don't go along with the narrative of their government or you try to worship Jesus Christ, then they have the ability through those things to limit certain things that you do and persecute you in various ways. I even heard that now this year because they, they've been through, I don't know if you've caught up or kept up with the numbers of natural disasters that are going on in China this year, and it's hit their food supply pretty hard. And so now they can literally restrict people and ding them for being wasteful with food. They can surveil, you know, have surveillance over them and control them to that degree. And so when you look at what's going on in China, how can they do this? You got to think about this. This is a society who views people as commerce or a commodity or, or they could care less about them. They're slaves. If you don't go along with what they think you should do, you could get put in prison or selected for organ harvesting as, you, as you're a prisoner. This is a society who has designed their society by limiting the number of children that you can have and even killing those that weren't the gender that they want. This is the mentality of that system. It is a microcosm of the system which is coming. And this is the thing that we got to understand as we begin to look at this, that uh, this is going to be a uh, world system that's going to come on the scene and people are going to be given to it because they're already buying into it. It's already being developed, if you will, behind the scene right now as we speak. And so verse 13, as we continue, these 10 kings over this final global system that's coming, it says that these are of one mind and they will give their power and authority to the beast. They're of one mind. They are globalists, not nationalists. They are all of one mind. They're all headed in a direction. And so their own government, uh, people who they govern no longer matter. It's not about their nation. It's not about their people. It's about the, the global government and the system of the beast that they are given over to. And they're completely submitted to the beast and allow him to dictate to them his orders, his commands, and they run their government according to that. And this is what this is telling us is coming upon the world. And they will give their power and their authority to the beast. Now, we often wonder, listen, we often wonder, is the United States in the Bible in prophecy? And why is it not mentioned? And part of the answer could lie in this verse. See, most Bible teachers, most of us as Christians have been so arrogant as Americans to actually say that the reason America is not mentioned in prophecy is because of the rapture. We actually have actually acted as if America is so Christian that the rapture will wipe it out. That we actually have thought that in the past. But the answer may actually be here because look, as, now that we've moved beyond 2020 and we look back at 2020, it's very easy to see how people can be swept up into deception so fast and how something that we held to be very, very essential in our lives as believers, the country can quickly determine is not essential at all. It could be that we simply end up submitting ourselves to the, to the development of the beast system 
and that America is no longer a sovereign nation. And as I've been telling you, America as a sovereign nation has been an asset to the rest of the world. Not that we're perfect, but when Americans' military is in motion, it has a powerful effect on preventing certain things from happening in the world. When our Navy is operating in certain uh, waterways, when we've deployed our, uh, our troops, whether Marines or Army men, into certain bases and places within the world, it actually, if you will, causes certain things to calm down and certain people to play right and act right to some, some degree. Okay, and this is why I've been telling you that America must be moved out of the way in order for this system to come about. And that is exactly what we see going on in the world. Slowly, I guarantee you that in 10 years, listen, in 10 years, the country that we used to know as America will not be what we remember it being. It would be different. And if, the, if listen, if this was January the 3rd of uh, 2019, you might would laugh at me a little bit and say, you know, Pastor Kevin probably needs a vacation, which I'm about to get one. But now after, after living through 2020, most of you are nodding your heads in the room. You're like, yeah, we can see that coming. We can see how quickly things can change. And so as we begin to think about this, it's important for us as Christians in the time that we live in to understand what the Bible says is coming that's why it's important when we read through the book of Revelation to take our time and actually consider things and not just fly through and say, well, we ain't got to deal with chapter 17. We'll be with the Lord. Yes, that's true. But we live in a world that's already rapidly moving in the direction to be shaped and molded in a certain way so that these things will take place and we need to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ in the world right now while he has us deployed so that we can make an impact. Because look, he's going to call the troops home one day. Is this the thing? And there won't be no PTS, PT, whatever, when we get there. I, I probably quoted wrong, y'all forgive me. <laughs> we won't have, you know, lingering effects from earth. No, 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 no. When we get there, we'll be completely healed of earth and we'll be resurrected and standing before the Lord. And so our time to make an impact is while we're still here now. OK. And so verse 14 says, these will make war with the lamb and the lamb will overcome them. Well, wait a minute. You almost you almost think verse 14 is crazy. Verse 14 just said that these 10 horns, these 10 kings and the beast that they're together collectively have given their power and authority over to him. And what they're going to do is they're going to use all of their military resources of all of their regions that they govern. And they're going to pull them all together to go to war against the lamb, the lamb being Jesus Christ. Could you even begin to fathom something like that? How is that going to happen? Well, remember, we already read it back in chapter 16. If just as a review, go back to chapter 16. And uh, it was right around... Where verse 12, remember the, the, the angel, the sixth angel poured his bowl out on the great river Euphrates. It was dried up to make preparation for the kings from the east. And verse 13 says, and I saw three unclean spirits like frogs, three of them, coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. So these three unclean spirits, one was coming from each of them. What are these unclean spirits? You remember verse 14 in chapter 16 says, for they are spirits of what, y'all? demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth 
and the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. The great day of God Almighty is the day when God is returning to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And all of these armies and these kings are being demonically influenced as these demonic spirits are going out to manipulate them to now take all of their resources and to begin to gather them for this great day. Notice what Jesus does in verse 15. He inserts something which is really good. We already looked at this. Behold, I am coming quick, coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments lest he walk naked and they see his shame. In other words, blessed those who are spiritually ready. Verse 16 says, and they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. And this is the war of which everybody talks about. The, the, the war that takes place in Megiddo in Israel as Jesus returns to earth. And you would think the creation His creation would be happy to see him, but his creation has been given completely over in the absence of the church to the manipulation of Satan, and they all turn to make war against Jesus Christ in this final battle. Now, how does this thing go down? Well, Revelation 19, chapter 19, turn there with me, kind of gives us a glimpse of it, and I don't want to spend too much time here because we're going to spend weeks on it. But in Revelation chapter 19, around verse 19, it says, And I saw the beast, that's this final world leader, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse, that's Jesus, and against his army. We'll come back to his army in a few minutes. Then the beast was captured, notice, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which the, he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worship his image. These will, uh, two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. In other words, they'll be captured at his return. The beast, the world leader, and the, the, the false prophet, which is the second beast who was with him, will be thrown into the lake of fire upon his return. But they will have their armies go out to make battle against the Lord, which is hard to believe. In verse 14, now in the text that we're in today, says these will make war against the lamb. And this is exactly what they're going to do. But notice what it says. It says, and the lamb, y'all notice this? And the lamb will overcome them. Why? For he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And I love this. He's going to overcome them. What does that look like? You know, The order of events is given to us in the Old Testament. I want to give you a verse that's really kind of beautiful. Uh, Isaiah chapter 26 on the screen. Isaiah chapter 26, the prophet keeps going uh, in and out as he's prophesying of things. He he gets these glimpses of things to come prophetically uh, in, in these latter times. And he says, come my people. This is the Lord speaking. Uh, through the prophet Isaiah, come my people, enter your chambers. It's very interesting. And shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is past. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. Did you notice in those verses it says, come, my people, enter your chambers and shut the doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment. What does that give you a glimpse of? I asked this question first service. I got several answers. To me, I thought about the ten virgins who 
were the ones who were prepared went in and the doors were closed. Okay, and, and they were with the Lord. Somebody said, I thought about Noah's Ark when they were brought in and the doors were shut for a little while. And a, another one said, I forget what the other one said. It was another really good one that somebody mentioned to me. Um, you know, I think somebody mentioned protection from the plagues of Egypt. But we keep getting these glimpses as he says those things, as the Lord saying to his people, hey, come in to your chambers for a little while. And then it says, and then the Lord will leave his place, notice, until the indignation is past. And then notice it says here, for behold, the Lord comes out of his place. Where is his place? Heaven to punish the earth. It's a beautiful glimpse of the way God has done things through the ages. But it's a hint also towards the rapture of the church to be caught up into chambers for a little moment while the Lord leaves his place to judge those who inhabit the earth who have turned against him. And throughout the Bible, we see this judgment, this war, which is coming. And in verse 14, it gives us this picture of this battle of which the Lord is completely victorious. As he destroys this battle, he destroys this army of the world coming against him. And he returns, and as he's returning, verse 14 in our text, notice it says, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. But notice he says, and those who are with him are called, chosen. Notice they're also called faithful. And I love that. And it's beautiful for us to begin to fathom them. Those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Chosen is the word eklektos in the Greek. And it means they are the, they're the ones who are, have been set apart, if you will, called out from, if you will, and set apart for his own special purposes. In other words, they are deemed or they are called holy and, and righteous even. Who are they? And I'm going to come back to it in a minute. Well, I'll tell you exactly now who they are. On the screen, Jude gives us a glimpse Jude, one chapter, verse 14 and, and 15, Jude quoting Enoch. Now, Jude is very interesting because as he quotes Enoch, he's given validity as the Jews had respect to the book of Enoch as a historical document in which they believe. We know Enoch was one who walked with God and his testimony was that he pleased God. And so God took him, God raptured him out of the earth. Remember that. And so Enoch wrote about these things, and I've actually read the book of Enoch. It's not in the canon because it adds nothing to our salvation or our understanding of things. But in it, it states this, and here's what it says. He says, uh, Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. Why? To execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them who uh, are, who all of all their ungodly deeds, excuse me, which they have done, committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. In other words, the Lord himself will come, notice, with ten thousands of his saints, which is a way of saying, the language implying, that it's a number that you can't even imagine. And literally, uh, one version says ten thousands upon ten thousands of his saints. In other words, the Lord will return with many of his saints, you couldn't even number them as he executes judgment. And so he's coming with saints who are saints. Saints are those who have literally been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And they are called saints for that reason. If you have a Catholic background, you may know saints of being people who have passed through the scrutinization of a, a committee who have determined that they did a miracle at some point before they died. <laughs> 
But the Bible says that saints are those who are deemed holy by God based upon faith in Jesus Christ. And so therefore, we're all saints if, you, if we're born again. The Lord will return with his bride. And that's what scripture tells us. In fact, glance over back into Revelation chapter 19. I'm going to give you a preview. I want you to get the, 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 the magnitude of this. And go to verse 14 with me. And notice it says, uh, verse 13 talks about Jesus' return. It says, he was clothed in a white robe, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. That's Jesus. You agree? Verse 14 says, and the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, follow him on what? Okay, because I know some of y'all have been thinking I'm crazy. (laughs) Well, who are the armies in heaven? Well, Pastor Kevin, those got to be angels. Well, angels are part of the armies of heaven, yes. But it says here distinctly that they're clothed in white, fine linen. And I want you to go read all of chapter 19 because chapter 19 identifies who she is who is clothed in white linen as the wife of Jesus at this point. She's clothed in white and she's also riding on what? White horse? White horses because she's many. Who is she? She's all of us who are born again. And so this is the beauty of it. We're going to get into that in chapter 19. So the beauty of that is, as Jesus is returning back over here in our text, verse 14, he will overcome this satanic army of all the world who comes out against him. And this is crazy. The world who persecuted us will be coming to make war with him. And all of us will be with him as he returns. And we'll also be riding on white horses. And it'll be a beautiful scene. It'll be a a sea of an army riding into earth. Jesus at the front. The earth will be completely dark. The moon will not shine. The sun will not give its light. And all of a sudden, the window of heaven will open. And bam, a blinding light called Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says that he'll destroy this, this world leader, the beast, with the brightness of his coming. The earth will see him. And they will almost like Jesus is so bright they can't even look at him. And as they make a little bit of a squint to see who it is, it's Jesus. And behind him, the the church in a number that you can't even begin to put a a, a mathematical equation to riding into the earth. And he, with his words, will destroy this army that comes against him. But the thing that's convicting about the whole thing is those who are with him, which we determine that we are a part of this group, are called chosen and faithful. Chosen, we, 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 we try to get that one. We, we play with that one. You know, most people go on one extreme to the other, but we can at least in our, in our little limited mentality figure it out. Some will say, well, we're chosen, meaning that God chose us, and it's all based on that and that only. Others will say, well, we chose God because of free will, and it's based upon that and that only. And so we got our little brains wrapped around it. I could have come to the conclusion that it's both. Because God is so big in his understanding that he knew who was going to choose him, so I'm good with that. But then he required that we choose him. And I'm good with that too. Let whosoever will come. He didn't force it on any of us. So we've chosen each other. It's a beautiful relationship. And relationships are based upon that. But the beautiful thing about it is he says are called chosen. And if it was just chosen, I, I, I could live with that. But it says faithful, and that's where I stumble. Because I don't, I don't can see myself as having been faithful to him. And I hope you don't see yourself as having been faithful to him because at some point we've all stumbled in our walk with the Lord in some way, haven't we? Yet he says chosen and faithful. 
And it humbles us in verse 14 because now we realize that he has even the power to present us this way, even though we and ourselves know that we have failed him. And our final outlook won't be based upon anything that we've done, but only based upon what he will do in us. Because the Bible is clear, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, right? To give an account of the things done in the, in the body, whether good or bad. That's what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians. But in 1 Corinthians, he says, and all of our works will be put into the furnace if you will, and test it by fire, which is a good thing because the fire brings out what is precious and what is going to last and burns up that which is impure. Just like when you dig gold out of the dirt and you have to put it into the fire to bring the precious stone to the surface and burn away all the, the dirt and stuff and the minerals that you don't want. And it says that when we stand before the Lord, it'll be purified. And it is good. So we'll be called faithful scratching our heads. He's calling us faithful, clothed in white, returning with him as he judges the world, knowing that we deserve none of it. But because of the love of God shown towards us through the cross, we are his and we'll be a part of his bride, his wife to be who will return when he judges the world. It blows us away. You'll, we'll, we, we, he'll wipe away tears. We'll see the earth being judged. We'll see people who were no worse than us being judged as we are clothed and decked out, riding on a, a horse from heaven back into the earth only because of Jesus. This is why he gets the preeminence. This is why we remember him in communion. This is why we give everything to him. This is why we honor him. And this is why we haven't forsaken the assembly because death ain't even enough to separate us from him. And we all going to die anyway. <laughs> so we might as well be worshiping. Verse 15. Notice we've already looked at this verse. It says, then he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And it's just an overemphasis of the fact that this woman, we're kind of getting back to her now, will be um, spread throughout all of the nations, all peoples on all of the globe. She'll be in, involved in all of them because uh, there's a purpose for her, which in verse 16 we begin to see has uh, now lived its course and they have no longer a need for it. Verse 16 says, then the ten horns which you saw, which are the ten kings on the beast, these will hate the harlot make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Now we got to get the image of the woman out of our head because that was a picture so that we could get something that is too vast for us to even begin in our, our brains to unravel it with our human intellect. So we had to give us a picture of it. But what we know is that this woman is actually a religious system that has been, if you will, riding along with the beast all of this time. But now the beast no longer has need for her so he's destroying her. And why is that? What was her purpose? Well, chapter 13 gave us a glimpse that her purpose was to lead the world into false worship, to be swayed by doctrines of demons, okay? And that's what the, she's done all of this time. She's been a system that has existed all the way back to Babel, which has been a part of every major satanic world empire to lead people into false worship. And we know and understand that. And we see that all the way through time. Even Caesar, Augustus, 
um, in, in, the, in that particular, the sixth head, if you will, of the beast, where they had the world worshiping all of these false gods of Babylon, but then Caesar Augustus then claims himself to be a god. And the way he did is what he saw, a comet, and he said, well, the comet, that the, the empire saw it, he said, this is Julius Caesar, my uncle, ascending to heaven. And then now they had to look at him as though Caesar Augustus was a son of a god, if you will, and they began to worship him, and they worship the Caesars every since. And this is what Satan has always desired. You hear it in that book of Isaiah as Satan is saying, I will ascend on the, the mountain of the north. I will be like God. He wants to be worshiped. And that's what he brings into his governmental system. And that's what this false religious system, which has always existed, has done to lead people into false worship. But then at the end, the beast says, but I am God and all must worship me. And to make sure that that's the case, there's a destruction now of the woman and any other God or any other worship has to go. You see that? That's what happens in the end of this thing. But in the beginning, it's doctrines of demons, all types of doctrines of demons. You know, even today, people are being led by doctrines of demons more than they realize. The LGBTQ movement is a doctrine of demons, okay? Psychology is a doctrine of demons. Um, and it's, it's, it's sad, but there's a lot of influence between the LGBTQ movement, um, drug use, children cutting themselves, suicidal thoughts, um, all satanic influence within our, our country and our world. It doesn't just stop at abortion. Abortion is something that he has a stronghold in, but then it has to be in leading children to, towards suicidal thoughts or cutting or, 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 or uh, feeling worthless and all of these things. And, and so Satan is very, very busy and very active. But see, once they no longer need all of this, the enemy wants to be worshipped himself and he destroys the woman in verse 16. We see that in verse uh, 16. And as we go into verse 17, we're almost out of time. Notice it says in verse 17, For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdoms to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. In other words, God is still in control and he's put it into their hearts for this to happen so that he can bring everything to a close. And why are they susceptible to all of this? Well, one, it's because the church has been removed and there's no restraining. And two, it's because they refuse the love of the truth. And for, uh, 2 Thessalonians on the screen says it this way, verses 9 through 12, you should know this by now and by heart. The coming of the lawless one, he says, is according to the working of Satan. The lawless one, by the way, is the beast with all power, signs, and wine, uh, lion wonders. Verse 10, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they may be saved. And for this reason, God will send them, there it is, a strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The antidote, as you are ambassadors of Christ, given the ministry of reconciliation, the antidote to all of this is to believe the love of the truth. What is the truth? The word of God, the gospel message, which we know, which we carry, which we live by, and which we preach. And those who believe that will not be given over to this lie. The whole world will be deceived as it's currently being deceived. The problem are people like you and me. 
we're the problem that the world has because we always go against the grain of the world because we're following our own king, Jesus Christ. And the world is going to, and I want to be honest with you, America and the world will become more and more intolerant of our presence. That's where persecution grows. We never thought that we would see churches fined and, and sued and, 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 and you know, $50,000 uh, uh, fines um, and being threatened. Pastors having to wake up on Sunday morning praying, thinking, what, what, is, what is it going to look like today? You know, will I go to jail today? You know, one pastor taking his medications and keeping them on his person so that if he gets arrested, he would have them there at the jail with him for holding a church service in America. What kind of mess is that, you know? Um, and so, you know, the tale of this thing is when I saw Times Square, I'm 48. I've never seen Times Square empty on New Year's Eve. Uh, just blew me away. Uh, the things that are going on in our world. Let's stay focused. So verse 18. And by the way, our, our, our church, all day long, I've been greeting people who had COVID recently and are over it. 60 years old and up, you know. Yeah, yeah, that is something to be thankful for. Back in here praising God, doing their COVID dance they got going on there. Because when I talk about it, I can hear, you know, first service and doing, you know, like, dang, yeah, we got through it. We done it. We did it. You know, we're good. God is good. Um, And so it's wonderful to begin to see that stuff. The first 18, I got to stay focused. Um, (laughs) And so verse 18 says, and the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Now we got to come into focus here. Notice, is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. There is a bit of uh, present tense that I see all the way throughout this section that we got to stay focused on because I think if we, we, we mix up our interpretation based upon what we what we've been told or what we think or what we would like for this to mean, we can get way off course and then entertaining all of these other interpretations. But there's a bit of uh, present tense here, which we've seen throughout. In fact, if you glance back at verse 8, verse 8 says, the beast that you saw was and is not and yet ascends out of the bottomless pit. And so now when I interpret that, um, just like all of the verses in here, not picking and choose, I'm going to interpret verse 8 this way and verse 18 that way. No. What verse 8 means to me then is that in John's day, there was an entity that we know here as the beast, which had previously reigned, currently was not reigning, but one day would, as a demonic spirit, ascend out of the bottomless pit. But for the people who are going to be living in that day, they'll see a human king who will receive a fatal wound and die. His fatal wound will be healed in some type of false resurrection. And as he is healed, this beast ascends out of the bottomless pit and literally possesses and takes over him. And so by interpreting all of it in a unified way, I come to that kind of conclusion. So then when I get to verse 18, I don't switch up my interpretation. I stick with it. And it says here, the woman whom you saw is that great city which means that in John's day, the great city who he would have known who reigned over the kings of the earth was the current representation or fulfillment of that woman, that religious system, which influenced 
and reign over the kings of the earth. That system rested in John's day in Rome. And so in John's day, we know Rome was literally the system of which, listen to me, enslaved and persecuted the people of God, demanded worship upon itself, controlled the population of the known world at that time, and everyone had to bow to it. And that's who she was at that time. And in the coming empire, it will resemble the same thing. So now, whether she rests at Babel or she rests in Egypt or in Assyria or in Babylon or in Rome and in the future global empire where her headquarters will be could literally be um, a rebuilding of something in, in Babylon. Yes, it could be. But the point is this global system will resemble all of the rest and literally the world will be swallowed up into it and human beings will be treated as, if you will, slaves or uh, uh, commodities or something to be owned and traded and utilized to its own purposes and its own pleasure. And it will persecute the people of God and have complete control over the population of the world. That's where it's going. And you already see hints of it and you know it in your spirit. That's where the world is headed. And the scriptures are telling us. So it's not anything that we have to be worried about, but we need to be aware of as we're completely out of time now. Okay, so now, are you weird when things don't add up and you just don't want to go along with it as they say you must? Well, yeah, you are, but it's because of God. Look, we're good citizens. Christians on earth are good citizens. We love, we come to people's aids. Listen to me as the worship team comes up. I was thinking about it this way. I was watching, and I was watching the news, and they're showing me these massive parking lots where they've had to bring these 18-wheelers in in America filled with food to create these food banks. Hundreds of thousands of people a day in these long lines to get this food. But it doesn't look like what we normally see at food banks where homeless people are trying to come in and get food or there's been a disaster and some people are, are short. It's people who are, because I, I, I began to pray about this. Lord, help me to understand this. As a pastor, I want to have a heart. What's going on in our country? And as I look at it again, what I see is these long lines of people in nice cars driving to the food bank. And I began to think about it. Wait a minute. These people either, either they dropped a bunch of cash. I mean, we know how the system works. Or they have, listen, or they have um, they've bought these cars according to the system. They pay insurance to have them on the road. And they've got enough gas to spend hours in a line. I said, these people have given themselves over to a system to the point that they are enslaved to the system. That's what consumer debt is. Okay. Remember, God didn't create societies like this. In Israel, every seven years, there was a release. He didn't like debt. He didn't like people being enslaved. So he, he wrote the system a certain way. The system of the world is designed to enslave you. It's just designed to. So I'm like hundreds of thousands of people in really nice cars with enough gas to do all of this and insurance, but they can't eat. And I'm not belittling the fact that they were in that situation. Yeah, it's a really difficult pan pandemic, you know, um, but the world system puts us in that situation to where you're never prepared to be able to function without the system at all as well. I, in other words, it seems like a problem to me that this world has, 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 has created 
And I think that God has called believers to find a better way even in the times we live in to live. So we're not a part of this. We're not slaves to it. The Bible says that borrowers are slaves to the lender. I think God wants Christian people to find a better way to live. You know what I'm saying? This is just, look, I ain't trying to sound like Dave Ramsey. I'm just simply trying to say <laughs> the whole thing is going to hell in a handbasket, and you don't want to be so tied up in it that until the Lord gets here, you can't function. It's just practical thinking now. It's time to be wise in everything you do. It, it ain't, it don't, look, it ain't nothing guaranteed. The system ain't going to keep functioning the way that it always has. You see hints of it falling apart at any moment. Okay, does that make sense? Yes. All right, I know that you didn't want a financial lesson today. But that's the truth. I mean, Christians need to be wise. We have the spirit of God in us. And Jesus says that the children of this world sometimes are wiser than the children of righteousness. That ain't the way he wants us to function and act and live right now. He wants us to be wise in everything we're doing. Check out of the debt system, the the consumer debt system. Don't be a slave to it. Don't live so that you you are so given over to it that you you find yourself having to go along with everything that they're putting to you because you have no other options. <laughs> That's not the way he's called us to live. Father, thank you, Lord, for today, for allowing us to be here, Lord. I pray that you would give wisdom to those last few words, however it needs to be worked out in our lives. Uh, Lord God, I thank you for everyone's here, everybody that's watching online. Lord, be with us, keep us, Lord, guide us, give us wisdom. Jesus, be with us in our homes, our cars, all through this week until we gather again in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing. God bless you all.